This episode of Up for Discussion is brought to you in part by The Butterfly Trap. The Butterfly Trap is a brand new children's book about a child named Lookie. Lookie is a willful little girl who won't let anything stop her. Not even her mother. She loves butterflies so much that she wants to have one to keep as a pet, but maybe she loves them a little bit too much. Find out how Lukey's dream may not be such a good idea after all. The Butterfly Trap is written by Leanne Matthews and Cookie Juratic, and you can get your hands on a copy of your own as of November 3rd at dragonbunnybooks.com. And if you're in the Montreal area, the authors are hosting a pop-up shop and book signing on November 2nd, and a book launch and live reading on November 3rd. Get all the details about those events and more at dragonbunnybooks.com. The Butterfly Trap. Buy it for your kids, or for your friends' kids, or for yourself if you're an adult who likes to read kids' books. Just buy it! Do it now! On with the show. Yes, come to see you. I say now, Benson, Jack, Benson, Joe. Benson, Jack, Benson, Jack, do 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 Benson, Jack, Benson, do 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 Benson, Jack. Welcome to episode 192 of Up for Discussion, an extremely spooky Halloween comedy podcast where we take your questions and dish out goth truths and spooky goofs. I'm Tom Zalatni. I'm Adrian Schoen. And I'm Kate Hammer. And for today's spooky Halloween special, we've got a very special interview with someone who needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. He is a brilliant writer from New York, arguably best known as one of the co-creators of Welcome to Night Vale, the one, the only, Jeffrey Craner. Hi, y'all. Hi. This is so exciting. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm glad to be on the show. Are you ready for some spooky goose? Uh, sure. <laughs> I like spooky. I like, I like how Tom, you kind of had a little trouble getting that out. I did, I did. We, we like slightly adjusted our copy this week just to, you know, stay in the spirit of the season. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So, so Jeffrey, you, you've been on Night Vale since day one, right? That's correct. Yeah. Joseph That's... and I started on it in like late 2011. That's amazing. What like... What was the sort of catalyst for that? What made you start uh, start doing it? Uh, Joseph and I knew each other through theater. Uh, I was in a theater company in New York City called The Neo-Futurists, and uh, Joseph was pretty actively involved in the things that we did there, and so we got to know each other that way. And uh, yeah, I, I just really loved, I really loved Joseph's writing, and I think vice versa. And uh, so we started, uh, we, we made a play together. We co-wrote and co performed a play together in the East Village uh, called What the Time Traveler Will Tell Us. And that was in, uh, we worked on that in 2010, 2011. And really the catalyst was that, you know, during the playwriting process as we would meet and talk through the script we were writing, we both talked a lot about podcasts we love and recommended podcasts to each other and talked about what was happening in those podcasts. And Ultimately, when the when the play ended, we were like, we should do a podcast together. That would be a lot of fun. And uh, also, the thing about podcasting is it's way cheaper than producing theater. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I actually have a question about that because I, I grew up in Chicago and I used to go see the neo-futurist Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind um, all the time. And I'm just wondering, like, the writing process on that show because you, you randomly – throw out it's it's 30 plays in 60 minutes and at the end of the week you, you have to throw out like a certain number of shows and 
right in remembering that? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So just trying to uh, write, the, are they thrown out at random? Like, do you have to throw out things that you, you love and rewrite? Do you have to keep performing things that you hate? <laughs> I don't know just... exactly how the Chicago company would do it. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it's probably similar to the way the New York neo-futurists do it, which is, uh, you know, at the end of the weekend shows. So in New York, we have Friday and Saturday night shows. And Saturday night after the performance, uh, we clean up the theater and then we all sit around on the empty stage and we go through the menu of all 30 plays. And we basically have a, a process by which uh, if you wrote the play, you're allowed to cut it. No one else mm-hmm. is allowed to cut it. Um, and then if you can cut enough plays that you're supposed to cut that week. Uh, for those who haven't seen the show, the, the, the number of plays we cut is, is decided by a roll of dice by the audience. So we would add together the die roll on Friday and Saturday. So between two and 12 plays, we would have to cut from that week's mm-hmm. menu of 30 plays and write new ones for the next week. So if we say said like eight, eight plays to cut, uh, if the writers were present and they wanted to cut their own work, you know, sometimes you'd have a play that was about a current event. And mm-hmm. you'd be like, I feel like this is old now. Um, you know, we can we can leave this behind or you would have a play that just you didn't feel like was working and you didn't like it. And you're just like, we're done with this. And um, and if you still had plays left to cut, you would just kind of go through the, the menu and just kind of talk through all of them. What's working, what's not give notes. Uh, and then um, there would be kind of a keep process and uh, everyone but the writer could keep a play. And if no one kept a play, it would get cut off a menu. So it was sort of like a pseudo-democratic process by which we would get rid of shows. And so you kind of like, you know, some plays would run for like a dozen weeks in a row and they were great and a lot of fun. And you would think, well, I'd love to keep this in the menu because it works every night and people love it. But at the same time, we got to keep it fresh. So it's time to let it go. Yeah, that's really cool. So the three of us here do uh, do a lot of improv. Mm-hmm. And uh, I-, I was actually chatting with one of the uh, coaches at the theater. Uh, and I mentioned that we're going to be doing this interview with you. He said, oh, I love Night Vale. They do such a good job of grounding themselves in a nonsense reality. And I, <laughs> I-, I thought that was a really good way to put it. But you-, you guys do such a good job of like saying, okay, our base reality is that anything can happen. Let's commit to that and let's make that as real as possible. What's been like the the challenge around that? I'm assuming there must be, right? I think it's, I think the, you know, when we started it, we didn't know what the show would, was going to be. Joseph wrote that very first pilot episode. So if you listen to episode one right now, it's the exact, the episode itself is the exact file that Joseph sent to me being like, this is what I had in mind <laughs> when he asked <laughs> Cecil to read it and his friend John, if he could use his music. And, um, and I was like, yeah, yeah. And so we just started writing other like little stories kind of in the guise of like a little radio show. And Joseph and I have very different sort of writing backgrounds and reading backgrounds. And, you know, I, I have a lot of I've always been really att- attracted to like humor writing and 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 uh, satire and things like that. And uh, as well as poetry. And, you know, I feel like that's the the odd wordsmithing of, of poetry and the, and the kind of the satire of like reading Dave Barry as an eight year old, you know, of like, uh, you know, that sort of thing was, uh, I think really influential, say for my, my approach. And, um, you know, we, we agreed when we started that even though we didn't know what the show was going to be or where it was going to go, we didn't have like a, a seven novel outline, <laughs> you know, in the works, we basically were just like, we'll just keep doing this as long as it's fun. And the rule we sort of set for ourselves was that it can go wherever we want it and do whatever we wanted it to do as long as it held to strict continuity, meaning that 
if you know if somebody if you have an episode where somebody say uh, you know if somebody dies in an episode then they're dead now or if mm. somebody says I'm 16 years old then next year um, if you have an episode on the same date and they say their age they're 17 years old uh, so, you know, just kind of having that continuity. And we obviously have weird slippery rules like time doesn't work correctly in Night Vale that help you work around some tricky plot issues. But, uh, you know, for the most part, our, our idea was uh, that, that people would like kind of grow up in Night Vale, that it would be an ongoing storyline in the town. It wouldn't be like The Simpsons where every episode completely resets. So when you were coming up with that structure, so like... I, I had decided that I was going to write uh, kind of a comedy horror uh, podcast that I'm, I'm still working on. But when I sat down to do it, I was like, OK, I want to do something sort of anthology. So that, like Law and Order that sustains itself forever with like a bit of an overarching night uh, arc. You know, I was like, like Night Vale. <laughs> with a bit of an overarching Night, night Vale. vale. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, you know, like, oh, but, uh, I, you know, I think radio does something really well where you're talking directly to the audience. Like Night Vale. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, you can't just have somebody talking at you for, for that amount of time. You got to break it up. Like the weather on Night Vale. And then I, I sat down and was like, oh, <laughs> I, this exists. So... <laughs> Uh, but it, it took that process for me to really look. I'm like, oh, they fucking nailed this so hard. And I'm wondering if you guys tried other things when you were uh, creating it or uh, if it just kind of was an idea that you had in your head that came out that way or, you know, uh, how you got to that structure. Um, I think it's we're both incredibly brilliant. Um, <laughs> no, I think a lot of it is I think a lot of it is luck. You know, I think some of it is uh, we were we were you know, sort of one of the first to do kind of like a, a long form serial fiction podcast, mm-hmm. um, if not the first, uh, you know, the, the truth I knew about before we started our show. Uh, but the truth was also doing short form individual storytelling. Uh, and uh, and I knew about Thrilling Adventure Hour, but they were doing a stage show where they recorded the audio from the live show and put it out in segments. So it didn't kind of mm-hmm. quite work as a podcast necessarily. Um, even though it's still hilarious, it just, it doesn't quite, you know, when, when people are speaking into microphones for a live audience, as opposed to, uh, you know, a, a podcast listener, it's, it's a different effect. Yeah. I, at least we didn't really talk about that from the get go as to like carefully structuring anything. It was actually pretty haphazard. You know, Joseph had this idea that there would be kind of a radio show motif and like there would be all these different segments, like the weather would be a song and then a traffic report might be a spoken word poetry. And then there might be like a sports report, which is just a short story. And they would all be kind of like disparate elements, you know, coming together. And we talked about it a little bit and ultimately agreed that might confuse things a little much with all these other voices happening, that the song actually worked the best because it was clearly a different voice. It was clearly not part of the story. So uh, so we kind of that was that was the only real hammering we did on the structure itself. Uh, but I, from the get go, approached it. And I think Joseph did, too, without ever really talking about it from the idea that it's intimate. You know, it's 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 a it's a voice on the radio. And, you know, I think if you've ever. You know, if you grew up driving long distances or grew up with a radio in your room, like it's it, there's something really miraculous about just out of the air, this little box in your car or on your desk just grabs voices from thousands of miles away 
that are giving advice or telling you this is a good song you should hear or just um, or maybe ranting about sports or politics or whatever. But there's something sort of intimate about that, that they're 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 right in your ear. And I've always just approached Night Vale with that, you know, to the, um, you know, to the improv instructor's point, like I've always wanted to my storytelling to be grounded in, in, in its own reality. Now, when you discuss like the organizing and to keep track of all this continuity, I like to imagine that you have an entire wall of like post-its with yarn <laughs> connecting them. Or is it just in like one computer file and you go control F to find the details? Uh, but how do you make sure it's, it's yeah, correct in its continuity? It's the latter. It totally, we have no, we have <gasps> no <it>. total. <laughs> um, I... I would love to have a true show Bible, uh, but at 136 episodes in, uh, that's a very daunting task. And so we sort of have to go off of memory. Um, you know, people online will, uh, I don't know if you know this about the internet, but they'll let you know if you're wrong <laughs> about anything. Um, the And so we, we definitely have had a couple little points where people will comment about, uh, you know, the name that we, you know, the name of... Uh, you know, I think in one episode we referenced something happening in Radon Canyon, but the way we had described it was very clearly Hidden Gorge, and people were like, it's supposed to be Hidden Gorge, not Radon Canyon. I'm like, I, I'm not going to correct it. I'm just going to let that slide. I think, good point. Um, but it's like, a, I think of it kind of like comic books, you know, just over time you can kind of, you know, uh, I think people get where you're going and, and you do have to flip back through old issues and in our case go back and re-listen or reread old episodes but we have a file a shared file that we can you know get to every single episode and so if I'm going to write a story about you know currently we're in the middle of a three-part series uh, uh, told from the town of Desert Bluffs and so I just went and did a search for anything that we've ever mentioned about Desert Bluffs and I just reread <laughs> all of it just to make sure I was picking up exactly where we left off. I, I have a question about the internet. I'm sorry if I'm monopolizing this. I'm very <laughs> no, excited. No, I love uh, it. <laughs> so I, I went to the librarian live show that you guys did here in Montreal. And I, I noticed that a lot of the, the fan base that showed up were uh, particularly like teenage girls. And I, I if the internet is to be believed in the fan art, uh, that seems to be a big demographic. So is there something that like you two guys like kind of older guys like connected with this this other audience like what was it in you guys that you think that that reached them now i'm just picturing you in a room with like 200 teenage girls and adrian being like what the fuck i took my husband and he's like where are we Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was I, I'm so used to doing theater where I, I just sort of naturally assume that whoever's in the show and working on the show, that the people who show up will be kind of of the same sort of demographic as those people <laughs> because it's basically your friends who come to see theater. And um, and I think that, uh, yeah, I, I, when we started getting a, f- a following that f- about a year in, uh, our very first like live show that was – you know, we did a one-year anniversary show in New York City at a bar in the East Village, and like 115 people showed up, and it was a real surprise because every other time we, Joseph and I, had ever put together any type of like story, like we would p- always put together these little nights of storytelling. You know, get friends to come read stories and poems and cool stuff and play songs, 
Um, and we'd do them in the backs of little bars here and there. And we'd get like 20 people. And uh, and they were all people we knew. And here was a case where we did only a Night Vale show. And we had like 100 and something people show up. And they were very young and mostly mostly women. And it was really interesting <laughs> to us because that was not what I expected at all. And um, yeah, I, I think... Looking back, I mean, I think some of it was, you know, Night Vale had a had a tipping point uh, to be all Malcolm Gladwell on you, but uh, it had a tipping point on Tumblr, and that's mm. probably a stronger demographic there, mm. uh, represented there, as opposed to, say, like, you know, getting a following on Reddit and blowing up there or something. Right. Um, and I, I think some of that was maybe because I think there's a—I think— Weird Town USA is, is sort of a, a genre we've made up that we didn't invent, <laughs> but we just made up the term to describe things like Erie, Indiana, or the Adventures of Pete and Pete, or Gravity Falls, or what have you. Um, that I think the history of that type of show has kind of skewed young. And then here at the center of it, we have uh, a gay character, and we have a gay couple at the center of of Night Vale. And I, that really wasn't intentional as a marketing device. It was just the story we told that I, I think it <laughs> I think it really resonated with a lot of people because uh, th- there wasn't a lot of that representation just sort of like naturally as a matter of fact in, in mass media storytelling. Well, my big takeaway is that you can do art that people who aren't your friends show up to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really that's really the big thing. I mean, our, our recurring joke is when we've posted the first episode of Night Vale it got 50 downloads and we were like okay well that that was interesting cuz that's the grand total of friends that Joseph and I share oh hi on it oh yeah um i'm wash my hands here i know what you're wondering what are you doing in my bathroom well, this is very easy to explain. Hold on, hold on. Let me let me just blow dry my hair here. Uh, I'm here to tell you about Lasers on the Ride podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcast. It's a mix of comedy, uh, interviews, and the existential drama that only real life can bring. Now I'm going to go take a shower. Goodbye. Eat healthy. Exercise regularly. Take cold showers. Avoid sugar. Practice yoga. Drink more water. Meditate. Practice mindfulness. Wear barefoot shoes. Avoid fat. Eat more fat. Go Try vegan. paleo. Do Drink bone broth. Try black P90X. Try a 30 squats a day. Eat more, Eat more day squats. Keto strongly good care. Oh, mindful Eat less Get more protein. Eat less Avoid the dirty Try a bar Drink Take an eye. Wear natural Staying healthy can feel overwhelming at times. Sometimes it feels like you have to change all your habits just to meet the baseline. But sometimes, all it takes is one little change. Ether Kombucha contains four powerful probiotic strains along with essential vitamins and antioxidants, all in a delicious, refreshing package which helps regulate digestion, support the immune system, and aid in the body's natural detox processes. Living healthier can be a treat with Ether Kombucha. Ether Kombucha. Do what works for you. For more information, follow us on Instagram at Ether Kombucha.
Hi, I'm Tefera Jemian, one of the hosts of Yeah, a podcast on the Upford Network. We're talking about young adult literature, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what the YA genre can teach us at any age. Join me and my co-host, Hannah Bailey, as we talk about friendships, dating, family relationships, sexuality, experiences of queerness, body politics, and more through the lens of our favorite YA novels, as well as books we're just discovering. The Yeah Podcast, available through the Upford Network, and on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club, and you're invited. Now's the part of the show where we uh, take a trip over to the Cash Corner. Cha-ching! There we go. (laughs) Guys, welcome to the Cash Corner, the part of the show where we shamelessly ask you to give us money. It's the spookiest time of year. What's your greatest fear? Spiders? Ghosts? Dying alone? Here at Up for Discussion, we're most afraid of being too broke to keep the lights on at our studio. We're currently working toward a goal of $500 a month over on Patreon, so consider helping us out. If you pledge as little as a dollar a month to us at patreon.com slash upfordiscussion, you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendallin, Candice, Carlea, Thomas, George Poppy, Jan, Jillian, Killian, Angie, Sarah Angelica, and Will. You'll get early access to bonus content, little behind-the-scenes updates, and all kinds of other sweet perks as well. And if you give at least $5 a month, you get to submit the featured question for an episode once per cycle on the show. Today's featured Patreon question, specifically for Jeffrey, (laughs) and that is in capitals, comes from Kendallin, who asks, what's your favorite thing about world building? Oh, that's really interesting. Um, Thank you, Kendallin. I think think my favorite thing in it is, uh, is the very beginning of world building is really fun because of the way I personally approach it is I don't really sketch anything out. I, and Night Vale was so perfect for me in the world of world building. You know, if somebody came to me with, you know, if, 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 you know, if say like a television exec says we have a, we have this idea for a show and they describe Night Vale to me and Joseph and they said, well, we want you two to write it. I don't think it would have turned out the same way um, because I would have had to have actually like outline and, and everything and thought about, okay, how can I make this weird? How can I make this scary? How can I make this funny? How can I make this sweet? Uh, you know, I would have probably spent uh, so much time wrangling those elements and not just thought, you know, just get your ideas down on paper and let it flow. And then we can sort of before we ever record an episode, we can um, we can start we can start you know crafting it, making it a little flow a little bit better, and and that's my favorite thing about world building is just starting it out because what it gives you is it starts giving you characters. It gives you most importantly, really, I think, is the voice of your show. It gives mm-hmm. you like how it's going to be told, and I feel like once I know how a show is going to sound, then I can kind of figure out what it's going to contain. Um, you know, it's maybe that's that's weird. It's sort of like reverse judging a book by its cover. Like you hear the way somebody <laughs> talks and you instantly know who they are. And that's not really true. But in, in at least as I build a story, I, I really enjoy just finding the language that's going to make the thing keep flowing. Mm-hmm. That makes me want wonder what you think we all are like based on our voices (laughs) well please say i'm the cool one please say i'm the cool one you're definitely the cool one kate you're the demolitions expert and i don't know that's interesting though that's 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 an interesting point because i think about night Vale, and the first thing i think of is cecil right Mm -hmm. and cecil's got this this low lovely voice that just kind of melts in your ears a little bit and there's something to his like cadence that i find really comforting and really welcoming and i feel like you you guys really 
you just kind of nailed it. You cast someone who's sort of perfect for that role. He's great. Yeah, he's really tremendous. He also came out of the the neo futurists as well. And what's really great about working with there's a ton of the neo futurists who've worked on the show with us, uh, mostly as uh, actors. And um, there's a real shorthand there in working with an ensemble. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's not just the neo futurists. It's just when you have an ensemble of performers that you're used to working with, and especially people you're used to writing for, you already kind of know what they're going to sound like, and you mm-hmm. kind of know how they're going to do it. And they know that, you know, if we had cast an actor that we didn't know, it would have required me and Joseph to give them direction, and that's something neither of us are that good at. <laughs> so, um, you know, that neither of us have a ton of theater training. And so, like, the idea of, like, how to communicate those sorts of things is, is a little bit more difficult for us. So with Cecil, uh, you know, I, I already sort of know how he performs, how he sort of finds a voice for himself in a, in a script. And, and that becomes really easy. And he can sort of trust that if we don't give him direction, that, that means nothing. It just means keep doing what you're doing. So uh, how did you get connected with Jackson Public? Because Jackson Public and Doc Hammer, the writers of The Venture Brothers, which yeah. is another very extended uh, world like animation show on um, Adult Swim, that uh, it's phenomenal. But uh, like I think of, of uh, there's sort of a parallel between writing partners there with a, a very long uh, extended universe that they have. Uh, wh- where did he come into the, the fold? He... Um... He came to us through, oh, via, uh, as did a lot of our actors. Actually, came to us through Thrilling Adventure Hour. Mm. Uh, so the the Ben Acker and Ben Blacker reached out to us because they had heard our show and were like, "This is awesome. Do you guys? <laughs> we should do a, you know, we should do a crossover or something episode at some point in time, which we eventually did, and we did a performance of it in at, at uh, San Diego San Diego Comic Con one year and earlier that year we did it in Seattle as part of Emerald City Comic Con uh in twenty fourteen. But in um in the fall of twenty thirteen we had gotten to know them and they had come into New York City to do a live show and they were just like, you know, listen, if you guys ever need actors, ever need any help, need resources, you just let us know. Uh we'd be happy to help out. And we're like, listen, if you wanna give us any of your actors <laughs> And they and they were like, well, I think uh, uh, several of them are coming in the night before our show, which was the night of the Night Vale show that we had were doing in Brooklyn, um, which was a show we wrote called The Debate, and it was just for that one night. They said, you know, some of the actors will be in town a night early. I'm sure if you just paid them a couple bucks, they'd love to come do it. And so we were like, great. So we reached out, and uh, I'm trying to remember that whole group, but it was. Uh, Mark Gagliardi, mm-hmm. uh, who plays Croach uh, on Thrilling Adventure Hour right. and who also now plays John Peters, you know, the farmer. Hal Lublin, we met through that. And he uh, he came and Jackson Public and uh, Mark Evan Jackson, <clears throat> excuse me, and Annie Savage. Uh, I'm missing somebody and like I'm going to kick myself. James Urbaniak uh, gets in there somewhere. Uh, yeah, James Urbaniak. We had met through them as well. He wasn't at that show, but yeah, he had done a show with us that year too. Um, so yeah, so they they had introduced us to a whole bunch of really great people, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know Hal Lublin has been kind of the mainstakes. He also does our like spinoff show of Good Morning Night Vale, which is a talk show about Night Vale episodes, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, he's great. And uh, we hadn't we'd only like briefly met Hal, and we. Just kind of, he had just a couple of small parts in that show where he would play like 
callers who called into the radio station. And uh, but one of them was Steve Carlsberg. And we sort of just randomly assigned him the part of Steve Carlsberg. And at the time, the storyline was in the show that Cecil hates this man named Steve Carlsberg. And so when he calls in and it's mentioned that his name is Steve Carlsberg, the audience started booing Hal. <laughs> and and then during the curtain call, they booed him again, and he really relished it. And he's he's turned into a wrestling heel and started like shaking his hands and getting everyone to pumped up. And after after that night, he was he approached me and Joseph, and he was like, "I'm Steve Carlsberg. It's canon. I play him from now on. This is what I do." Uh, this is this is kind of blowing my mind a little bit because coming back to what you said uh, in response to the world building thing, uh, and a little bit off of this even um, this this thing where you you're in a nice position where the content you're making gets feedback fairly soon after it's released and then it gives you a chance to sort of adjust as you go and the actors you're working with you know you get to know them more and more you get to hear their voices uh it it gives you a lot of sort of quick turnaround time to like adjust things as you need to and i was just thinking about it like in terms of the the world that i know a little bit better is like sitcom writing and sometimes it feels like the writers don't really lock down things about their characters until like season two or three when they've had a lot of time to work with them. And I think that it's, it's really, it's kind of blowing my mind a little bit thinking about how like you skipped that you, you managed to like bypass that process by just being like, yeah, we're just going to start by working with our friends and then like kind of go from there. Yeah. It's, it's a real advantage. Like, uh, you know, we, we sort of have a, you know, a general philosophy. I mean, that, I mean, we've had before Night Vale even, which is just like work with delightful people. Um, it, it makes your life so much easier. And there's so many talented people in this world um, that there's no reason to like, I, there's just never a reason to hire Johnny Depp, right? Like there's just not. Preach. There's absolutely zero reason to do that. Kate's like, actually, that's my brother. No. <laughs> I was nodding very aggressively. <laughs> No, yeah, there's just, you know, you, we could have a lot of discussion about how talented a problematic person is, but there's so many talented people and there's more delightful people than awful people in this world. And, and my thought is just work with people that make your life easier. Yeah. And and I and I think that, you know, w- w- and when you're like me and Joseph Sursa 2011, you don't really have many resources to reach out to Johnny Depp, even if you really wanted that. <laughs> Um, and there's, so you're gonna, you're gonna stick close at hand to people who are your friends, who are used to working with you, who are used to doing theater for no money and just be like, would you just do a thing for us? Would you read this thing for us? And then we figured, you know, listen, if it ever makes money, we'll, we'll deal with that later. And, and, and that's a thing, but yeah, working with people you already know is just, is so much better. And then you add to it just it's actually an advantage because you get chemistry there. Yeah, I think there's something that really happens in the UK that I, I love where you have people who perform together on stage like the the Mighty Boosh or something and then they get option for radio and BBC you know, produces it for radio and then maybe they put two or three seasons of it on TV. And by the time it hits TV, it's such there's a chemistry and there's a report. And when you watch a lot of you know British comedies, you see the same people over and over again. Mm. So sometimes you can mm-hmm. just like IMDb an actor you like, like oh I really like this show and that lead person in it, and you'll find five other shows with like the same ensemble. <laughs> right. Uh, it, but it's it's a very cool space where people can put those things together mm. and they can uh, find collaboration and it's kind of nurtured and grown. 
Yeah, I think that helps so much. I'm a, I'm a unlike a lot of the people in my circles, I'm a big sports fan. And so um uh, I'm I'm the loneliest night Bailey in that <laughs> regard. But it there's but yeah, there, and I think that this you you see this repeated in sports as well, where it's just so much especially in a game like with a with a smaller squad like basketball that's more about flow and move ball movement and teamwork. Uh, as opposed to like just sheer physicality like American football. But the teamwork is huge, and so much of teamwork is just chemistry. Like, I know your tendencies because I've played with you since high school is a real advantage. <laughs> and um, and guys that come up together in, in similar programs and play on the same team for many years, they they kind of know what – they know I can throw the ball over here, and I know you'll be at that spot when I toss it over there. And uh, I know that if I run this pick, you're going to run this move, and we both are in line with that. And I think the same works in in writing for for theater and podcasting, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that resonates for sure. I I find, like, we've had some, like, hosting changes on this show over the years, but, like, even the newest people, like, Kate's one of the newest hosts we've got. And, like, I already feel like I kind of get, you know, I I know how she works and it's nice because like you kind of build that over time right yeah like like every time before I talk I wink exactly twice and that's when you know (laughs) it's the little signals you know (laughs) yeah but that's it it's there's there's something really nice about like the familiarity that you get it improves the banter as well which is helpful and like I I imagine in a writing room that's like even more important right yeah it absolutely is just just to know that you can just trust the person to that you know they'll they'll be on deadline <laughs> it's helpful too and um and also you know when you co-write you know we get asked a lot about co-writing you know how do you guys do that and um you know our joke is we reference the uh the pottery scene from the movie ghost but there's just a there's just a, a mac macbook there instead of pottery but but we're never in this we're almost never in the same room there's rare exceptions where we've been in the same room uh with each other and like really like talked through a whole storyline and wrote it out and um but that's usually just like outlining the actual writing of the episodes we break it up and we're like you know when we write a novel together it's like here i'm gonna do these five chapters Mm. and then joseph's gonna do the next five and we just trust that like I'm I'm sure this is going to be great. I'm sure you will do exactly as we talked about in the outline and it'll all match up. And it usually does. And that's pretty great. And same thing with the episodes. We early on kind of both contributed to every episode. And nowadays we alternate um, episodes. So like I will write, you know, I'm writing, I wrote this three-parter in Desert Bluffs and I wrote all three episodes and sent them to Joseph. And then it's just up to Joseph to, if he has any questions, he'll ask them. But for the most part, we kind of just do a little bit of like tweaks here and there of like, you know, here I added a joke on the second page and, you know, kind of like clarified this language a little bit here on page four and that's it. And that's really, and you just sort of trust that the person's writing style, while different than your own, uh, is still very good. Do you guys have any, like Lennon McCartney, like you, you can tell who wrote the song. Uh, like, do you have any like go-to things that you, you particularly find, um, maybe unsettling certain formulas that you're like, oh, this is my just go-to creep place? Yeah, I, um, mine is definitely spiders. I, I'm absolutely terrified of spiders, um, which is a mistake living in upstate New York. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, and so I will, you know, anything that like is crawling is scary, um, I think 
uh, I think the other the other thing is uh, the idea of seeing something that's scary, looking away and looking back, and it's not there anymore is another thing I will do in my writing. Mm. Um, I think I've uh, Joseph is really good at uh, Joseph who loves horror films a lot more than I do. Uh, he he has used a couple times and I really love it. It's like kind of a body describing a, a, a body moving in a way that doesn't seem human. Hmm. You know, like something that is walking normally like a human, but it's slow and then suddenly it trips, but it picks itself back up and keeps walking. Like stuff like that where you it's almost zombie-like or something kind of really terrifying about a thing that looks human but isn't behaving like a human. Hmm. I don't know how we are on time, but I was just wondering, like, do you have any uh, recommendations of things that are influences of your, like, what should I be listening to? That's what I want to mm. know. Oh, man. Well, uh, how long is your show? Do you have a three-hour show? I, I, I have all night. <laughs> okay, great. Um, this is Tom's house, but it's fine. <laughs> well, I'll give you a couple of things that are sort of recent for me uh, that that I found recently that I really, really love, and I'll kind of give you a little bit of... Uh, background on them first so you'll know whether or not it's your thing uh, but a show I saw I saw a live show of this and it was uh, an UK show called Imaginary Advice hmm. um, it's really cool it's it's a guy named Ross Sutherland uh, and he is a poet and he does a lot of I learned about him through Helen Zaltzman and the Allusionist podcast mm-hmm. Um, but he does a lot of really cool, like process-based storytelling, uh, meaning he he kind of puts a restriction on himself and then creates stories around that. So, like oh, the first time I had ever, the first story of his I had ever heard, which is he had basically uh, he got obsessed with uh, sample sentences in the dictionary, and so like the little sentence that it writes the word in context for you. And what he did was he just took all of those sentences out of a dictionary, put them in a spreadsheet, and then next to each one kind of classified a genre of fiction that it would go well in. And then he sorted by genre, and then he started writing little, uh, he wrote like little noir detective stories using only sentences from the dictionary. Um, So he does a lot of really cool stuff like that. So imaginary advice is great because he, he has some some really neat stuff. He did a he did a um, uh, what's it called exquisite corpse exercise with a friend of his, where they the jumping off point was four weddings and a funeral, <laughs> um, and so they took the uh, Hugh Grant's character from four weddings and a funeral, and the idea was they flipped a coin and uh, one of the guys that got heads had to write the story in a way that would end up with him getting married, and the other guy had to write the story in the direction that ended up with him in a f- dead in a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, what happens is the kind of the uh, this amazing thing about Exquisite Corpse is you and your co-writer are building a story together. You know, you take the the paragraph they wrote or the section they wrote, and you say, okay, I see where they got me. Uh, to hear, so I'm going to build this. Mm. Well, what happens when you have two different objectives is it becomes a battle. It becomes <laughs> like each section, the, everything is constantly 
trying to contradict, but in a very yes and sort of way. Because you can't just say, no, that didn't really happen, or it was all a dream. That's a cheap trick. Uh, so it plays by these improv sort of rules. Instead of yes and, it's no and. <laughs> so it's really interesting. Um, and it becomes a very, very funny and really wild-ass story. Uh, so he does some cool stuff. Um, another one that I really love, and I've touted this a lot on social media, and I think I, I even mentioned it on uh, my other podcast within the wires recommending people to listen to is greater boston do you guys know the show i think uh did they have a booth at podcon last year they may have that sounds familiar i don't know is it the one that's like set on a subway line yes there is a whole storyline that takes place on the red line in boston um it's it's really beautiful Uh, it's it's and it's funny and it's quirky and it it is the show that i wish prairie home companion was (laughs) Uh, um Growing up, I tried listening to Prairie Home Companion because I had heard about it and I liked radio and I just was so, so bored by it. it. It's so boring. In every way. (laughs) It's so boring. It's so boring. Um, And by all accounts, Garrison Keillor is a tremendous a-hole. And so it's just really nice that the the greater Boston folks seem super delightful. And (laughs) and their show is funny and it's got a little bit of like kind of classic McSweeney's to it. Uh, The writing is so good. It's so sharp. And... uh, yeah, I just think I, I just think it's re, it's a really wonderful show. I think it's such a such a good use of 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 the podcast medium. Did you guys ever uh, listen to a lot of Joe Frank or anything like that? No, I get asked that a lot. <laughs> I, I, I have listened to some of it. <laughs> I've listened to some of Joe Frank, yeah. and he's pretty great uh, from what I've heard of him. But no, I, I never heard his show that I that I remember anyway. That's interesting. Now's the time in our show when we jump into the turtle's butt. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we have a lovely stuffed turtle here who doubles as a cup holder, and we've filled his butt with questions from our audience. There's a bunch of questions in here from Indiegogo donors and some from past guests of the show and also from our $1 plus patrons. You want to submit a question for the turtle's butt? Give us a dollar. Uh-oh. The turtle is haunted. What an unprecedented and spooky Halloween happenstance. For today's episode, the turtle is a spooky Halloween turtle filled with spooky questions from our absolutely real people dark web audience. Lol Bananas asks... I'm an English speaker living in Montreal, but I'm really struggling learning a new language. How can I respectfully tell someone that I don't understand next time I'm confronted with their unhinged, festering jaws and multi-pitched screams? Is that French? Or is that a dead person? In my experience, that's that's French. Oh, no. It doesn't sound like they're in Montreal. It does sound like they're in some sort of land of the undead. Yeah. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. Uh, I think the best way to, to avoid conflict in those situations is to be really polite and friendly, even though they can't understand you. Always, Head nodding and... Yeah, you know. smile and nod. That's I always go yeah. for that. Yeah. Offer them a beverage. I do what they do. I just like doing what they're doing, but right back at them. Right. Ooh. Yeah. Just be their own mirror. Like completely mirror them. Yeah. Because they can't hate you because it's them. <laughs> That's how I make friends. This one comes from Citizen Crane. I like to relax at the end of the day by watching Netflix, but I'm starting to feel like their tech is getting too invasive. Sometimes when I try to pause it to go to the bathroom, it gives me notifications like, are you sure you would like to stop this program? You already went to bathroom 30 minutes ago. Is everything okay with you? Recently, it started recommending shows that are just recordings of my own life. There are hours of videos of me buying groceries, working at the office, or doing yard work. Apparently, a six-hour recording of me sleeping is trending. Am I still consuming content, or is it consuming me? I love that idea that <laughs> that Netflix is just 
turned you into the thing that you watch. Uh, the, the, recur- the recursive function actually is a pretty terrifying thing. Like the idea of like suddenly being able to see yourself is really horrifying. Um, <laughs> that idea of not kn- <clears throat> not knowing who is who. I, we were, uh, I was having a, a drinks with a friend the other night and we were laughing about the idea of like we were just talking about time travel. And, uh, and, I, and it was this idea of like, what if you could just travel back in time like half an hour? <laughs> you just pop back and tell yourself, you're like, oh, make sure uh, they uh, make sure you don't order that beer. Their tap is really flat. So uh, you should get a cocktail instead. Just uh, like, what back. if you had that? Yeah, just travel back 30 minutes. Like you risk completely ruining all of all of the rest of the timeline of the world. <laughs> I think the most just so you don't get a flat beer. Yeah, I think the most upsetting thing about like watching yourself on Netflix is how they categorize you because it already <laughs> upsets me. Like where they're like you like you must like this, right? And I'm like, "Why do you think I want to watch that?" <laughs> I do like the idea that Netflix would take care of my health though. Mm. If it was like, "Hey, you've gone to the bathroom too much." Uh, I've checked your spleen and here that, you know, I'm okay with that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It could even be a built in future where they're like, have you taken your pills yet today, Janice? Yeah. I heard that. I think the. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, No, 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 do it. (laughs) (laughs) I heard that uh, there was one girl who actually she was depressed and she watched like just an absurd amount of Netflix, like nonstop. And Netflix sent her an email like, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. Yeah, I, I heard wow. that they did that once to someone who suddenly stopped watching stuff for a couple of weeks after like a long binge. Oh no! <laughs> so oh, it's that's nice scary. that they're like, looking out for people. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. We got another one here from Chemtrail Thirty Three. It's my dream to pilot a black helicopter. Any on any advice on how to break into the industry? A what helicopter? A black helicopter. Oh, yeah. just the color is specific. The, the ominous, uh, you know, shady helicopters that. That monitor everything you do. Oh, any advice on breaking into the shady helicopter industry? Well, I would I would first learn how to fly a helicopter. Sure. That would be my first thing. I, mm-hmm. I would imagine you could probably, there's probably schools for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go to an actual school. I would not go to like ehow.com. <laughs> I would actually go to a school for that one. I don't know. I kind of think that helicopters just have a big button that say up and down. That seems like probably true. <laughs> right? Probably what it is. Yeah. Uh, knit lover. I'd like to take better care of my teeth. How do I stop them from eating each other? You have to have an honest conversation with your teeth about personal boundaries, I think. Keep them in line. God, I hate myself. (laughs) (laughs) Your teeth hate you too, so don't worry. Okay, our last one comes from Anon. The spiders are whispering again. Is is that a question? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a recommendation. Oh, it could be. Yeah. I recommend listening to Whispering Spiders. I would definitely listen to them. They'd be like, why'd you take down my spider webs and then put up fake ones? Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, just ho- like, I'm here to help you. Yeah. Halloween time? What the fuck, man? Yeah. yeah. Do you guys ever have I that? eat mosquitoes. <laughs> Do you guys ever, you're walking home late at night between like a tree and a parked car and a spider web is dangling oh. across it? Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> It's uh, the only thing that makes me want to live not in the city. You know there are spiders in the country too, right? <laughs> yeah, but there's less cars. There are less cars, but those those spiders will they will post up anywhere. Yeah. They're they are everywhere all the time and right now. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, um, yeah, when we when I went to Australia for the first time, that was the big adjustment for me. Was the number of just like giant spiders that hang on webs that are 
basically tied between a street post and a and a and a rearview mirror on a car. <laughs> Just and the spiders are they're not small. They're really really big. And uh, so that was yeah that uh, you really have to keep a lookout and don't walk between like two trees. Ugh. See, I find the bigger the spider, I find them less threatening because they seem hardier. Whereas like little ones are skittery. Yeah, but I'm always nervous to kill the big ones because I feel like the big ones. I'm always worried they're going to be pregnant. Oh, Oh, that too. (laughs) Yeah, they might fight back, or they might explode into millions of smaller spiders. Can I tell a scary spider story? Always. This was actually when 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 I was in college. I went to uh, Texas A&M University, and uh, I uh, I did an internship in the Department of Multicultural Services there. And uh, I, be, I was a journalism major, and I did the newsletter for the Multicultural Services Office. And we did a we did a multicultural services retreat, um, and so it was kind of out in the out in the sticks, and we were kind of in just this like open, uh, kind of kind of like a rec room of this like camp, these <laughs> campgrounds. And so we're all just sitting on the floor, and we're having all of these discussions about. And it really is a thing about good for college students to go to where it's like people telling stories about their racial heritage or their their cultural identity or, uh, you know, things of that nature so that you can sort of like learn from other people that aren't just like you. And so this is the thing that we're at. And we're sitting I'm sitting on the ground and I just see crawling toward me a giant spider. And I gasped audibly because I'm scared. And then there was a moment where somebody ran to it and they're like, kill it. And then somebody was like. No, no, that's bad luck. And they're like, kill it. And then there became this argument about it's culturally insensitive to kill a spider when we're talking about cultural sensitivity. And you're just like, kill it. And the guy's like, I don't care. I hate spiders. And I'm staying out of it. I just want the spider away from me. And then he stomps on the spider. And then just a million little spiders go scattering everywhere. And I thought I was going to throw up. And it was, and it just ruined the entire day because we just also just saw a spider explosion. But then also it was like, you're not listening. They just said, don't smash the spider. Oh my God. You metaphorically like smash the spider and literally. That's so good. This is still open. My jaw dropped. Oh God. That happened to me in a camp. Always at camps. eh? It happened to me in a camp shower once. I was, uh, I was in one stall and my buddy Luke was in the stall next to me and uh i step out and i see a really big spider on the on the ground in like the sort of common area in the showers and but i'm like you're naked oh. and vulnerable well i'm wearing a <laughs> towel hang on <laughs> and i i step out and i'm like okay that's a big spider i'm gonna squish it and luke's like oh yeah good call and he's still in the stall so he doesn't see what's going on i squish the spider and then i go oh no and he like pokes his head out from above the stall, looks down and goes, why did you do this? <laughs> oh, Ugh, man. Millions. So many tiny spiders. Oh, I didn't even know that was real. It's real. Because they, they carry the, like, um, sack on their back, I guess. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. It's gross. Man, Not every, it. other friend of, every other friend of mine that, that went to a camp when they were teenagers or in college they always had stories of like, I made out with somebody. And my story is always like, a giant bunch of spiders just ran everywhere. Yeah. And then did you kiss the spider? <laughs> yep, that's who I made out with. Oh, man. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode for this week. Jeffrey, this was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. I really had a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, this was great. Uh, if you guys like this episode, consider supporting us on Patreon. Like we said earlier, we have a goal of $500 a month uh, that we're trying to reach. So, you know, 
think about throwing a dollar our way. Everything helps. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. Uh, share this episode with a friend who hates spiders. I'm sure they will really get a lot out of it. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Down With Talking and each of us individually. I'm at Tom Zalatni. I'm at Boxless Thoughts at Kate the Hammer. At Happier Man. Sweet. Does anyone have anything to plug while we're here? Uh, I'll plug two quick things. Uh, Nightville Presents is the network that we're part of, and we're launching some two new shows this fall. Actually, we by this time this episode comes out, we'll have launched the two new shows. Uh, there are two new fiction podcasts. One is Adventures in New America. It is sort of uh, uh, vampires and Afrofuturism and and anti-capitalist and really wonderful script writing and it's really funny and wonderful and scary and creepy for all of your for all of your fiction podcasting needs. Uh, and the other is one that we're launching. We will have just launched on October twenty third. Uh, that's tomorrow uh, <laughs> on October twenty third called Dream Boy. Uh, and this is uh, a, a solo storyteller named Dane Terry. Uh, who kind of weaves together these kind of like weird, beautiful, and strange stories uh, uh, from his fictional life. Uh, and he's also a musician as well, so it has a musical element to it too. So two new brand new fiction podcasts coming from Night Vale Presents, uh, Adventures in New America and Dream Boy. Those sound amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also have uh, Infamous on November 17th. Uh, oh, yes, that is the right date. Um, and uh, Improv. There's a bunch of shows that I'm in and or running in Embraer. I should also promote that, yes. <laughs> yeah, wait, you're doing it. You're... <laughs> um, we can put a link to the Emprov website in Let's the description do that. here. Yeah. As well as links to uh, all the stuff that uh, Jeffrey just plugged. Uh, I, is there like a landing page that we can link for that? Uh, if you do nightvelpresents.com, that'll get you to all of the shows. Perfect. So we'll plug those links in the description here. Uh, I want to plug PodCon. Yeah. Um, PodCon is... Uh, this is the second year in a row that it's happening, although technically it's happening a year and a couple months later, so that it's two years apart, really, from the first one. Uh, but it will be January 19th and 20th in Seattle, Washington. Uh, I'll be there. I think, Jeffrey, you'll be there. I will be there. And uh, you guys should come, too. The, we're, we're trying to get a few people from the network to come out. So far, definitely, Teffer and I will be there, along with the baby. So if you want to meet my oh, baby, great. come to podcast. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't love conventions so much, uh, but I have to say, when we did PodCon last year, it's really one of the most just fun things I've ever been part of, let alone convention, where it's easily the tops. Um, yeah, it's it's a blast, and it's so wonderful, and people were so giving and lovely, and uh, yeah, and I just I got to meet so many cool people and see so many new shows. I really can't recommend it enough. It's it's one of the most wonderful things you'll do this year. Yeah, having having been to VidCon the year before and and having <laughs> expected expect having expected PodCon to be similar, I gotta say PodCon was way more fun. <laughs> Oh, good. Yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah, just a little, like, quieter, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of event. <laughs> yeah. It's like VidCon for adults. Ooh. Oh, man. Uh, cool. Well, yeah, so, Jeffrey, we'll, I'll see you there for sure, and uh, hopefully a bunch of the people listening will, too. Wonderful. Sweet. Uh, special thanks to Crackers and Jam for letting us use the title track off their EP Benson as our theme music. You can find all their music for sale at crackersandjam.bandcamp.com. This show is produced and edited by me, Tom Zalatni, for the Upford Network. You can find out about all our great shows at upfordnetwork.com. Yeah, sweet. Thanks, Jeffrey. This is really great. Thank you so much. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks, you guys. Say hi to your teenage cat for us. Yeah. I will. I'll go give him a hug now. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Bye, y'all. Bye. See ya. Have a good one. Bye.
Yes, come to see you. Was in a Benson Joe. Benson Joe. 